Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me. Hi, Tom. Hello, Jay. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, we're going to make some sausage today, Tom. Uh, we're going to try out a new segment to open the show. So we'll see how this goes. I know I emailed you uh, kind of about the concept, but I didn't preview what I was going to necessarily say. So so we'll see how this goes. Your game for it, though? Yeah. So when I'm stupefied and speechless, it will be genuine because I have no idea what you're going to ask me. Okay, cool. Well, so this is a segment. This is definitely something I borrowed from one of my favorite podcasters, Tyler Cohen. His show, uh, Conversations with Tyler, is a, is a must listen, at least for me. Um, and he has a segment called Underrated, Overrated. So I'm going to ask- I am, I am underrated. Okay, let's <laughs> so, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, and then you're going to tell me whether you think it's overrated or underrated and why, and, and like within 60 seconds if possible. So here you go. Uh, podcasting for lawyers, underrated or overrated? Well, I would defer to Adrian Lerson from J.D. Supra, who would, if he were here, he would say underrated. And I understand the uh, instinct is to think that the market's been flooded. Everybody's got a podcast. It's become cliche. But I just think it's a great way to communicate with niche audiences, as we talked about. It can't be for everybody because I don't think you're going to be able to compete with you know the broad market, typically speaking. Uh, the best will be able to. So I, I would still say it's still underrated. Um, somebody asked me, well, or I asked a client, actually, I said, if, um, you know, all of your, all of your uh, competitors have websites. So should you take your website down or not have a website? And, you know, obviously the, the jest is that it's, it's something that just because everyone's doing, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be, you should think about what, where do I fit in? So underrated. Okay. Underrated. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'm going to, you're going to throw it back at me next week. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll be ready for uh, the the segment at least. All right, cool. All right. So let's get on to the business at hand. Uh, We have a guest on today's show. We're excited to, to talk to Uh, Mike Morris is the founder of Mike Morris law firm, which is the largest personally personal injury law firm in Michigan since being founded in 1995. Mike and his firm have grown to 150 employees, served 25,000 clients, and collected more than $1 billion. For those of us in Michigan, which Tom and I both are, uh, Mike and his firm are household names, and he gets over 20,000 calls per year requesting his services. So, Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Very excited to be here. First question for you today, I just want to lay a little bit more groundwork about your background and experience running your law firm. And I think by all accounts, you've had uh, unique success in terms of growing a firm. Uh, so I, I kind of just interested, and I think our listeners will be as well, to, to understand kind of the progression of your firm. Have there been certain seminal moments that you could point to that have really been responsible for that growth? Or has, has it rather been more of a slow, steady progression over time? So for me, there has been a few monumental things that happened. So, you know, we talked about first in law school, when my dad died, that took care of that whole thing that I'm not going to have a partner with my dad. So I had to get a job. So I worked for somebody for three years and he wanted me to work for somebody else. So I did that for a few years and then they fired me. Uh, 
in September of 1995. So that was one of those cataclysmic things that happen and totally shakes your confidence, shakes everything about you. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have a, I didn't have an income. And so I, I hung a shingle and I was a solo from 1995 until truly today, even though it looks a little different. <laughs> and then I, and then I kind of just figured it out for about 12 years. And then the next big monumental moment, um, and we talk a lot about this in, in, in our book, Fireproof, was in 2011, I was getting 70% of my cases from one person. And that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, just saying those words out loud. I'm just like, they sink in a little bit deeper. That is so uh, I mean, there's no equity there. It's just, it's just not equitable. It's just too, it's just too much. And in the middle of May, 2011, this person comes to my office. I had 30 ish employees and he says, we're no longer sending you any more cases. Hmm. And I'm like, what? And uh, I said, okay. So then within 30 days I went on TV, which is another big decision, but these things were kind of thrust upon me and forced upon me by other things, getting fired, actually uh, having, I, I consider what that lawyer did to me was getting fired. We actually had a physical fire in my building in 2008, which actually did other things, but it wasn't as monumental in the practice of law as those other two. And we decided to go on TV soon after that. And that kind of catapulted me to where I'm at today. So I have a couple chapters, right? Chapter one, really is working for another law firm. Chapter two is trying to figure it out myself. Chapter three is working with a business coach, understanding that law firms are businesses, didn't really understand that. I finally understood that in about 2007, 2008, when I started working with Gino Wickman. And then, you know, the sky's the limit. Once you free yourself up, you learn how to delegate. You learn that you don't have to do everything in your practice. and that's kind of what's taken me today to 150 employees, 150, 160 million dollars in gross settlements and verdicts every year. And it's just a completely different monster. When I was fired by that other guy who shall be nameless in 2011, uh, we were doing about 17, 17 and a half million dollars in settlements and verdicts. And now we're, you know, 150, 160 million. So in those nine short years, the progression has just been crazy. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's interesting because I think it's it's very hard in those moments to realize that those are the um, those are actually opportunities. You know, those those very difficult, challenging periods of time. I mean, that resonates with me because I I also left a firm, hung a shingle, and it's really where I learned everything about you know the practice of law and running a business. Um, you had no choice, right? Um, I, I felt that way, and and it's just it's looking back, you realize. The to the extent you can put yourself, you know, put some constraints around things, or or you know, keep pushing the boundaries of what you think you're capable of, you'll find out you are capable of much more, aren't you? Isn't that right? It, it it that's such a good point. And one thing that you know, now that I'm doing some consulting and coaching work, and and talking to lots of people, come to me. Should I go on my own? You know, should I uh, get another job? And it's having that free will to make that decision to quit a job, hang your shingle without being forced out the door, which is what happened to me. Or I didn't make my own decision to go on TV 
uh, that was kind of forced upon me too. And so what I'm encouraging people and coaching people and just friends and whoever will listen is to try to make those decisions proactively rather than do what I had to do and have to figure it out on the fly. Luckily, I'm a really good problem solver and, and it wasn't that complicated or hard for me to, to, to get going. But had any of those things happened to most people, I, I fear what, that, what would have happened to them because they are some, I mean, major life events. And, and because of other things in my childhood, I've always been able to adapt. I've always been able to get right back up after getting knocked down and just hit the ground running. And not everybody is great at that. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's basically my story and uh, still, still doing it, still living it. Yeah, Mike, you mentioned in that story, two firings and an actual fire. And the book is named Fireproof. And as Jay knows full well, I'm a man who loves a good pun. So we'll get to the book in a second. But another good pun that I really appreciate is your podcast being called Open Mic. It's very clever. Um, Jay asked me, he stumped me, tried to stump me at the beginning with an underrated or overrated question about podcasts for attorneys. I'm curious about your podcast, why you decide, if you could tell us, first of all, a little bit about what ground you cover, but why did you decide to do a podcast? And what impact, if any, has it had on your business, either the law firm or the, the coaching practice? So I went and listened to Gary Vanderchuk speak in Atlanta a couple years ago. And he spoke to me. I, I, everything that came out of his mouth resonated about content and about staying relevant and about how a podcast ha is like the triple threat, you know, it's audio, it's, it's visual, it's print. And um, it just made sense. And my dad was a DJ. Um, I, people tell me I'm decent on TV and decent in an interview. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. And I really didn't have a topic. I didn't know what we were going to cover at the beginning. Um, my creative team led by Ross Lerner and LA advertising here in Detroit, um, helped me come up with the name open mic and the visuals to it. And we just started interviewing lawyers and doctors and interesting people. And then 20, 30 episodes in, I started meeting, um, people who were wrongfully convicted and who spent 10, 15 years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Wow. And fast forward, I've now done five interviews with people who have been in prison for many, many years for crimes they absolutely could not have committed, impossible. And going through those stories and dissecting those stories as a lawyer and finding the, the problems and the prosecutorial misconduct, the judge misconduct, their, their horrible defense attorneys that they had, and on and on and on has opened my eyes to just a whole world of things. So you know, you didn't ask this part, but you know, it's, 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 it's um, enlightened me to all of these things, but it's also broadened my horizons. It's made my life richer. It's, I've learned a ton. Um, and quite frankly, and I'm thinking about this because nobody's asked me, I don't think I've gotten a single case because of it. Um, it has not helped my personal injury practice. I don't think it's helped my coaching practice through fireproof consulting. Um, but I've done almost a hundred episodes and I love it and my life's better. 
Um, I'm smarter because of it. I make, I meet making new friends. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, and I haven't even, I haven't, I don't talk much about this, but I was, I've done so many uh, episodes now on social justice. I learned about the bail problems in America. I've learned about lots of other systemic problems that I didn't even know existed. And as a lawyer, people think that we know everything. We don't know everything. And I don't know the first thing about criminal law. I've learned a ton in the last year, year and a half since I've been doing the podcast. And I'm proud to say that with the help of some of my lawyers at my firm, we have signed up to represent one person in Michigan who's actually in Northern Michigan right now in prison. He's sentenced to life without parole. He was convicted in three days of a murder charge and had the worst court-appointed attorney you could imagine. The guy was disbarred very soon after. And I've read the transcripts and I decided that this man didn't get a fair trial. And my firm has pledged to help him get a fair trial, which is not in my mission statement, you know, as far as what my firm does for a living. We're personal injury lawyers. So I've taken on a monumental case that could potentially change a man and a, a family's life and it's 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 powerful and it's um, scary and it's uh, gives me anxiety uh, because mm. this man's life is in in my firm's hands. But I feel really good about the uh, the fact that nobody would take this guy's case. First of all, okay, so we are obviously doing a pro bono. Um, the Michigan Innocence Project asked us to get involved, and it's an offshoot of my podcast. So I would never in a million years have done this, started this journey without my podcast. So I look at that as one of the most positive things that I'm actually gonna to try to change someone's life because of things that I've learned on my podcast. Um, and so to me, it's meaningful. That part, to me, it's a home run just because just of the doors it's opened. Uh, my eyes are wider, I'm learning a ton. Um, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent that you didn't expect, but um, no. I, I, I that's so, so that's where I'm at now. And, and, you know, I heard when, when, when Jay asked you the question, rate, uh, you know, overrated, underrated, I don't even have a great answer for that. It was a good question because um, I'm sure you have listeners who should I start a podcast and there are a lot of legal podcasts and it's not easy to, to, to make noise and to break through. And, you know, I read a million blogs and I, you know, I, I, I talked to a lot of consultants and, you know, the consistency is very hard. I read statistics. You guys are podcast experts. You know, there's a huge percentage of podcasts. I think it's over 50% that hasn't put out a new fresh episode in the last 12 months. Yeah. Something crazy like that. And, and 20% are active. You know, and there's a bazillion of them, but only 20% are producing content. And if you don't have a team in place and you don't have people helping you find good guests and you don't aren't dedicated to it, you're going to do one or two or three or four or five episodes and be, and be done. Yeah. And that's not fun. And that's a waste of energy and everybody's time. And, and that won't work. So is it overrated or underrated? If you could really do it and commit and be consistent, then I say, do it. Um, but if you really, if you, if you're really busy and your heart's not into it and you're doing it just to pick up cases, definitely don't do it. Yeah. That's my yeah. It's all about expectations, I think. And you, you had, you know, you tell a remarkable story about some of the the people you've interacted with on your podcast. I can't claim something so momentous as that, but I will say, Jay, and I bet you would echo the conversations that we get to have 
um, by inviting guests onto a podcast are probably impossible in any other form. Like I doubt Mike, if I called you blindly and said, Hey, you want to get on the phone for a half hour? Just talk about marketing and podcasts. You wouldn't even take the call first of all, but here we are. I, That's not true. That's okay. not true. <laughs> I take those calls all the time. Not from the <laughs> likes of Nudniks like me. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, we've, I've met more people through this podcast in 2020 than I have in any other, you know, venue. Wouldn't you say, Jay? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it is nice. It's, it's a, it's an opportunity to meet people through a a mutual exchange of value. You know, I mean, we get something out of the conversation and hopefully our guests do too. I mean, even the conversation itself, I think is interesting. We all learn something from talking to one another and then, you know, providing a platform for other people to promote their, their brands is, is value to them. So I think it is a a win-win. Um, so, Mike, turning from one form of thought leadership podcasting to another, um, let's talk about your book. Uh, you mentioned it. Uh, we, we mentioned it in the intro. It's called Fireproof. Um, and this one's a bit of a, a, a different take in terms of, you know, relative to your, your practice where you're focused on personal injury law and your podcast. But this book was written for lawyers. And I guess if I could summarize it, first of all, I think it's a great book and it's, it's very professionally done, um, which is not always the case with, with books out there uh, these days. But um, it, it, it seems to me like you've, you've essentially packaged up your expertise and experience in terms of building and growing a law firm and kind of created a strategic operating model for other law firm leaders to, to build their own. Um, assuming you you agree with that assessment and correct me if I'm wrong in any respect, but what, what led you to write this book uh, for this audience? I think it's because, you know, at heart, I'm a teacher. Um, my COO and co-author, John Knockhazel, also loves teaching and coaching. And we got our firm to this place where it felt selfish not to share what we learned. We both felt it. It was, it was, it was literally a, a, a give back thing. We never expected to make a dollar. Uh, I pledged all proceeds go to our backpack giveaway, which we, we give away backpack to the kids in Detroit. And I pledged every dollar to it as did he. And it was just giving back. And then, you know, we didn't even ask to coach or consult in the book. There's not a mention of it. And then um, after the book came out, I started getting calls from lawyers around this country, basically, you know, only begging and pleading, but begging and pleading for us to come in and take a look under the hood and help them get to where we uh, are. And again, it felt like another way to give back. And all the proceeds there go to the backpack giveaway. And so it's, it's and, and I've met a ton of great lawyers around the country. I really, we're all in the same boat. They're great lawyers and terrible business people. So the theme uh, and what we wrote about in the book, it just, it just, it made me realize that we were right, that, that, that lawyers need help running their law firms like businesses. And we have developed a special sauce that we believe if you follow the, our, our steps that we outline, uh, you can't fail. And it's funny, we called it fireproof. It could have been called COVID proof. Mm. It could have been called hurricane proof. Uh, and we just picked fireproof because we had a fire, but it, we, and we wrote it before COVID hit. And so, um, you know, it, the, the people who we 
who have read the book. They tell us that the book has helped them through COVID and other tough times. And so that's gratifying. It just getting emails. When Jay reached out to me and said he loved the book, it's like, that's just gratifying. Cause you know, and Jay knows he's written two books more to come, right? Jay, is it two? You uh, two. Three, three, three out there. One, one in the, one in the hopper. <laughs> three, one to come. But Jay, when you put that first book out there, you don't know if it's dog shit or if it's good. Yep. And, and, and we didn't know we, yep. we, this is our story. You like it, hate it. We put it out there and thank God, uh, people loved it. And, but it was, it was a little scary for a few, for a few minutes there. Yeah, no doubt. I, I always think about, you know, I, I played baseball in college and I like to think like putting out content say on LinkedIn is like just another at bat, right? You know, you've already got, you've always got another at bat coming, whether it be that game or the next one, but yeah, books more like the balance beam at the Olympics, right? <laughs> Where it's like, you don't, you know, it's either going to work or it's not going to work and you don't really, ha- I mean, you could write another book, but that's a big endeavor, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's uh it's nerve wracking, but it, as a result of that, it's extremely gratifying when you do get positive feedback. And, and it's a little bit of a legacy play, right? I got three mm-hmm. daughters. I don't know what, they're, if they're going to be lawyers or whatever. Um, you know, when, when my publisher said to me, what, what will make in 10 years, if I call you, what will make this book successful? And, and it's a hard question, right? And mm-hmm. the only thing that came to my head is that this book is mandatory reading for law students one yeah. day. Yep. in some universe. That was it. And, and cause I want, cause I really wish that somebody would have handed me this book uh, in the early nineties when I was getting out of law school, it would have saved me a lot of grief. I would have set, started doing all of the things in the book way earlier and who knows how qu- much quicker I would have reached my success point, you know, uh, if I would have had this book. So that's what I hope uh, that, that's, that was the, one of the other reasons why I wrote it. Like you mentioned, uh, Gino Wickman earlier, who, for people who don't know, he was the inventor of the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS. Uh, my company was actually a client of his too early on in, in 2006. Um, and I'm collaborating with him now on his new project. So I know Gino, I know how uh, wonderful his process is and can speak firsthand to its successes. I'm curious, he wrote the foreword to the book in in very, it's very kind words to say about you and your firm. I'm wondering what you learned from the EOS system, because a lot of what is in your book without feeling derivative, seems like it was built on some of the same principles. So was part of Gino's process baked into your success and how does that then come out in the book, if at all? So you're a thousand percent right. I mean, we, we, we are not, uh, we don't, we didn't other, other business books and other legal books kind of I know somebody who wrote a business book and didn't mention EOS once, but yet he came up through the EOS ranks. We didn't shy away from it. We want everybody to run their firms um, on the EOS system, which is what we teach at Fireproof. The, 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 and so I'm a huge fan of Gino's. Him and I were texting 10 minutes ago. Um, and he's a, just as a brilliant, brilliant mind. EOS is a five-day-a-year program. They teach complete independence. And it doesn't matter if you're a law firm, a dental firm, an architectural firm, a business, uh, uh, a a building company, a toner company, financial planning. EOS is cookie cutter for every business. We took the EOS system and it's kind of like our base. And if you can picture a pyramid right now, we then stacked 
new processes on top of EOS to make the fireproof model. And ours is a monthly, if not weekly process that we help people and we handhold people all the way through to the end and get them there quicker than if they did it on their own. If somebody would have held my hand through the EOS process, it wouldn't have taken me 12 or 13 years to get to where I was, where I am now. It would have been, I believe, cut in half or even shorter. So EOS, if you, if you have great business sense and you want to do it on your own, EOS is the way. Um, and then if, if you're a law firm or another business who wants help with the, with the Jumbotron slash scorecard, wants help with everything and wants to learn from other people's mistakes and be kind of spoon fed, that's what we do at Fireproof. And we're finding that a lot of law firms and a couple other extra businesses that aren't law firms, believe it or not, have called us and we're helping them through the process. So hopefully that gives you a good, clearer, a clearer picture of the difference. Yeah. Mike, uh, kind of building upon this is if I know that in the book, you talk about the value of like systems and processes. And, and I really think that those are critical, whether you're an individual lawyer, who's kind of bumping into a plateau. Um, I coach lawyers who oftentimes will, you know, develop sufficient business to keep themselves, uh, really busy, you know, to the point where they don't have any more billable hours to squeeze out of themselves. Um, but they hit that plateau and don't know where to go next. Or, a, you know, a small law firm, which same situation where they're just running at full capacity and, and don't really know how to take it to the next level. I think that, you know, systems and processes are critical to scale, whether you're an individual or a firm. Um, so can you talk, and I know you, you feel that way too, through, you know, the content in your book. Can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe, the role that systems and processes uh, play, whether it be from your own experience building your firm or working with other people in a coaching and consulting capacity, and just just what that means to to start shifting from a mindset where everything's like a bespoke process to something that's more of a repeatable system in terms of running a law firm. We are talking about two of the most critical components that that we see with our firms and every other firm that I've ever talked to. You know, you're talking delegation and you're talking systems and processes. So why, Jay and Tom, do 90% of the law firms out there have one, two, three lawyers and some support staff? Exactly what you just said, Jay. They're running around. They're busy enough. They're making a decent living. They start hitting the ceiling, but they can't figure out what to do next. They just can't figure it out. They're yep. stuck. They hit mm -hmm. Gino's words. They hit the ceiling. So we dissected that. So why? Well, they, it, it's because they don't think they can delegate. So if you ask any lawyer, and whatever specialty that it is, it, what, are you, what are you the best at? So what, back before I learned how to delegate, even though that was a word, um, I would say, well, I try the best case. Nobody can connect with a jury better than me. And nobody can talk to their clients like I do. I just connect with them. I love them. They love me. It's a nice symbiotic relationship. And I'm really good at settling cases. I get along with the adjusters. I know how to ask for the right amount of money, blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't think I could delegate that stuff. I was wrong. <laughs> One of my first business coaches told me, Michael, there are smarter people than you. There are better trial lawyers than you. There are people who are better on the phone than you. And I told him he was full of 
you know what? <laughs> and, and, but seriously, slowly over the time, it, it, I, I started hiring, looking for people who could do the things that I didn't, that I couldn't handle as much as I was trying to scale and grow. And I realized, oh my God, one example is I'm really, I'll take one of the three examples I gave you. I, I was, I like talking to my clients and I'm really good at it. But when I started getting hundreds of clients, I was getting too drained yeah. and I couldn't do everything. I couldn't try all the cases and do all the writing and do all the depositions and talk to my clients every day. And I said this to my father-in-law one day over lunch, who was my first mentor, Steve Radom. And he says, Michael, there's people who love being on the phone and love talking to clients and are great at it and probably better than you. And I thought he was crazy. So I put an ad in there, just like I put an ad in the Lawyers Weekly, just like I just said, people who want to be on the phone, people who love customer service, blah, 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 blah. And I found the person. Her name is Jan Rosenberg. 18 years later, she's still with me on the phones. And she took all the calls. And guess what that did to me? Freed me up 50% of the time. Guess what? My clients like talking to her better than talking to me. <laughs> And I'll say that to anybody right now. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, you have to have, you have to know yourself. You have to have a healthy enough ego to be able to say these things. Cause I'm telling you guys, the lawyers that I know have big egos and they think that nobody, they can't delegate any of the stuff I'm telling you about, but then they're going to be stuck. So I, I mean, I can go on and on about delegation, but once a lawyer learns how to delegate and they have all this free time, they get to spend that time on anything they want. So I spent it on growing my business. Now, I'm getting to the second part of your question, Jay. Once you start growing your business and you get to double the amount of people you have working for you, how are you going to keep it as good as it was when it was two, three, four, five people? By the processes that you have typed up, okay? And, and so it's like McDonald's, it's like, any other process-driven business that you want the next lawyer and the next paralegal and the next secretary and the next receptionist and the next person in the mailroom and the next accountant and the next person who opens a file or closes a file to do it the same exact way from today and for forever, right? Yeah. So you could imagine, I've never seen the McDonald's process book, but you know they have it. You know, that's how they have 16 million stores around the world. They're all run the same exact way. It's not because they're telling stories and telling everybody how to make the French fries. It's because they have a very detailed process. I have the same process in my law firm for everything that I just named, plus everything else. And if something goes wrong, if there's a problem, we pull out the process, we tweak it, and then we re we re-deliver it to the staff. When somebody comes on, they get the processes that pertain to them and they know the Mike Morse law firm way. I don't have to teach anybody else it anymore. It's written down. It's a process. And 99.9% .9 of law firms out there don't have written processes. If you walked into any law firm, I do this all the time. They'll, they'll call me and they say, uh, I'm having a hard time with intake. I, you know, I, I, you know, we think we're losing calls. We don't know who to refer it to, blah, 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 blah. Right. You could imagine. I don't care what kind of lawyer you are. You can't handle every call. I said, okay, send me your process. What? Yeah. Send me the written procedure that you teach your receptionist. You teach your intake. To they look at me. What, what are you talking about? We don't have a written process. I said, of course you don't. That's because you, you've never sat down to think about this process. That's why it's not working. 
how many people do you have working there? Well, we have a new girl, Beth, but I've not met her yet. Well, who trained her? I don't know. I think Karen trained her. You know, this, but if you have a written process, that, that's how it's, it, that's just how it's done. So my, we have secretarial processes, we have paralegal process, we have a mailroom process, open files process, closed file process, how you order medical record process. I have a, I have a hundred processes and that's how you can scale because if I have a hundred employees or a thousand employees, it doesn't matter because they're all going to read the processes. They're all going to be held accountable the same way. That's the only way a law firm is going to grow. And to a lot of your lawyers who are listening to this, this is going to be an epiphany because I've had lots of calls from lawyers who read Fireproof and this part of it blows their mind, Jay. And that's probably why you focused on this question because law firms don't have processes. They don't have procedures. They have them verbally. They have them how they hope they're being done. But then when they go, when five years go by and they have new employees and who's training who, it falls apart. And then, and then, and then productivity goes down, efficiencies go down, stuff isn't getting done, a mistake happens, malpractice happens. Wait a minute, guys, I thought you were doing it this way. Nobody ever told me that. It's not written down anywhere. So that's a long answer, but that's, yeah. that's kind of the core of, of our processes. And I know if Gino were Gino himself is dogmatic about process. So I know if he was here, he'd be quite proud of the way you told that. And the only thing I would add to that, the story about delegation is part of Gino's process is to convince, convince the client early on that the only way this works is to let go of the vine as he puts it. So I wonder if you incorporate that process into yours as well. I wanted to ask you last thing for me, Mike is, um, just about marketing and advertising, which is a topic near and dear to my heart, of course. It seems as though that's played a big role in building your firm and scaling it. Are there a couple of key principles that you could share with lawyers that maybe they're missing when it comes to their marketing and advertising? And I'm wondering if your fireproof process includes marketing and advertising as a component. It's my favorite chapter in my book. It's called Cherry Garcia Beats Vanilla. And what does that mean? Well, Vanilla is a commodity item. Everybody knows what vanilla is. Everybody's got vanilla. And quite frankly, every legal commercial, every legal piece of marketing that I see out there, other than the stuff that you guys write, is vanilla and boring and terrible. My advertising is Cherry Garcia. It's special. It's unique. You know exactly the, what those cherry chunks and the chocolate bits and the, and the cherry ice cream taste like. And it's special and it's memorable and it stands out. That's what you want your advertising to do. You want it to be memorable. I believe that we've cracked the code to do that. We spend a lot of time in Fireproof talking about it, um, I take you, I take the listeners or the readers or listeners, whatever, however they consume the book through a detailed process, how to figure out your voice, how to figure out your brand. I've actually had two people tell me that my next book should be about personal branding because I feel like I, we do, my firm does that very well. And I think I lay out the process, you know, when we wrote the book, we, 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 we laid it out there. We didn't say, call me to brand your firm. And quite frankly, I'm not doing that now. Um, but everybody needs to come up with their own voice, their own brand. What do most lawyers do? They look at the competition and they copy it. 
it's the herd mentality and it's boring and it doesn't work and it's vanilla. They need to find their voice. They need to be creative. They need to stand out. We like to kind of say that we do the opposite of our competition, kind of pull a ju- uh, uh, like a like a karate move uh, on them and do the you know opposite um, of what they do and and it seems to work like like you know we're, some of my competition are bullies or they're yellers or they're mean or they're this or they're that we do the opposite and we're funny and we're a little self-deprecating and we give we're not greedy we're, we give back to our community and on and on and on and we build our commercials around that and it just seems to work and we don't spend as much as our competition. And I think that our commercials uh, cut through the noise. And I think that, so to answer your question, Tom, it's like whoever's listening to this, it's like figure out what's going to cut through the noise. What's going to get the attention of the viewers, the listeners, the print readers, because I get emails all the time saying when your commercials come on, we shush the room, we rewind, we pause. I promise you, they're not saying that to my competition. I promise you, nobody wants to hear their commercials one more minute than they have to. And I'm proud of that. And it's fun. I mean, it's we're entertaining at the time. And we, I know we're entertaining. I got my mom on there and my dog's on there. And, um, and we're doing crazy things. And I'm chasing ambulances. And I'm throwing axes. And I'm <laughs> running around Pontiac with a mask on my face. And who does that? And in... And, and, yeah. But you know what? I get so many nice emails. I get so many nice compliments on the street every day um, that I know it's working. And the phones, thank God, are ringing very nicely and uh, often. And uh, that's really, you know, that's really what we're trying to do is make the phones ring. And um, by doing it a little bit differently, it seems to be working. Well, I agree with everything you said up until the point we said a little bit differently at the end, because it is, it's a lot of bit differently. And I just wanted to emphasize it, it takes bravery to part from the herd. And, but the ones that do are the ones that get noticed. So if you're resisting that urge as an attorney or as an affirm, just embrace it. And Mike's good evidence as to why. Well, thank you. And if any of your listeners, you know, I know you're, you, you're all over the place uh, with this podcast and anyway, can listen to it. You know, it's out there. We put every one of our commercials on our YouTube channel, Mike Morse law firm, after YouTube, and they're all there. We we're in the we've been in the Super Bowl for the last seven years, so we have some pretty big spots that we spend a lot of money on. That's one other tip, little tidbit. I just want to throw out there, Tom, for your listeners. You got to spend the money on the production. Uh, you got to spend the money on on the writers, um, unless you just want freebie commercials and they're just going to be garbage and just follow the herd. But you got to spend the money to make them look great, sound great, light lighted great um and then the content has to be amazing as as you guys know yeah well mike uh this was great i think you know i learned a lot i'm sure our listeners did as well um so i I think it would be good to to maybe just share with people um a few other areas where they might be able to go to check you out you mentioned your podcast we we know you have your book we'll link up to everything in our show notes but if there's a spot or two you'd like to send people to 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 check out and learn more about you where where should they go we just uh, launched a new website at 855mikewins.com which uh, people are getting some good information from they could follow us on all the social media channels at 855mikewins 
And if anybody wants to email me more questions, it's mike at 855mikewins.com. I'm happy to, um, you know, hop on the phone, hop on an email, unless you're Tom Nixon, of course. And, uh, uh, but anybody Every else, guest says that. Every anybody guest else, says that. feel free to call, email. I love helping. Um, and anything I can do to help grow these law firms, make your lives more predictable and more profitable so you could be working in your sweet spot as Gino says, doing the things you love to do, doing the things you're great at. And, and it's so possible because I'm watching it happen every day. It's just, it's just amazing. Fantastic, Mike. And, and I would say also, I'll add on one more spot for people to go uh, where you and I connected first, which was on LinkedIn. So definitely connect with Mike on LinkedIn as well. Um, so, well, thanks, Mike. It was a blast speaking with you. Uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And for our listeners, uh, join us next week for another episode. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.